And welcome to episode 79 of the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined as always by my co host James Sterlings for Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. James, it has been too long since we've done a stealth game. I reckon we should rename the show Retrospectives the Stealth Podcast because I intend to do every single stealth game in existence over the next couple of years. Well, surely we're over halfway now, right? <laughs> it does feel that way, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I was kind of glad when you picked Splinter Cell 3, um, just because I enjoyed the first game so much when we did it. Uh, I was really excited to sit in and play the, the Splinter Cell that everyone rants and raves about online. Yeah, so for a long time, I was considering doing uh, Pandora Tomorrow, which is the second Splinter Cell game in the series. But no one talks about Pandora Tomorrow. I played it a bit when I was a kid and I can't remember being super impressed with it. So I thought, let's skip to Chaos Theory. Chaos Theory is the one which everyone rants and raves about. It's the one which introduces the most in terms of mechanics and is considered to be, by many, to be the best stealth game ever. So it just felt natural to go to the more important game in the series. And who knows, one day we might return to Pandora Tomorrow. Yeah, I guess we'll find out how we uh, compare it to things like Thief 2, hey, and uh, Splinter Cell 1, and, uh, you know, lesser stealth games like No One Lives Forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting episode for sure. I think that um, I think the way it's going to shake out might be a bit differently to what uh, to what people might expect, but, uh, but more mm. on that later. Um, for those who've never listened to us before, James and I make up the Retrospectors podcast. Uh, what we do on this show is we review and discuss classic games in the past that are at least 15 years old. The thing that makes our show different is that we're not trying to review and discuss these games from a position of nostalgia or to understand them in the times that they were created. We simply want to know if they're worth your time to play today. So it's very much a modern perspective. It's very much a critical discussion of these games to see if they stand up alongside the modern games that get released yeah and we don't claim that this is the best way to review games we just think that it is a alternate way that has its own merits so you know obviously a lot of these older titles have real historical importance to video games but um for the purposes of this show and for giving it our own spin we are reviewing them basically as if we played for them for the first time today and we don't care at all how important they were when they came in. So for those who are unaware of the Splinter Cell series, the first one was released in the year 2000, uh, which we played for the show earlier. Highly recommend you listen to our Splinter Cell 1 episode, by the way. We're going to be referring to that one a lot as an obvious point of comparison, as well as, as, well as other stealth games like Thief 1 and Thief 2 that we've also done for the show. Splinter Cell Chaos Theory is the third entry in the Splinter Cell franchise, and it was first released in 2005 and developed by Ubisoft. It was released for PC, Xbox, PS2, and GameCube simultaneously. Uh, by about 2005, you start to reach a point where, uh, where all of these games get released on the same consoles all at the same time. You reprise the role of Sam Fisher as you continue to work for the NSA to combat forces that threaten global stability. So just to give you guys a brief introduction of what the story is like, I think the story is just the logical place to start with this. In the world of Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, information and hacking are considered the new ways 
uh, that warfare is going to occur. That's that's the big thing, information warfare and cyber warfare. So the game starts with Japan forming an information self-defense force. So Chinese and Korea form a blockade of all Japan shipping because they believe the ISDF to be in violation of Article 9 of the post-World War II Japanese constitution. Uh, briefly, the idea is that Japan was not allowed to create a military force post-World War II as part of their surrender agreement that they negotiated with America and the rest of the world. And to this day, uh, Japan still doesn't have much of a military force. So there's a real-world reason that China and North Korea might uh, have a problem with Japan creating some kind of self-defense force. So that's the global background that's going on. At the same time, you you playing as Sam Fisher are trying to track down some super hackers or super good people at computers. It's left a little vague and the story unfolds from there. So I don't want to go into spoilers just yet. We'll have a bit at the end of the show where we get into the nitty gritty of the spoiled plot. But the basic setup is you're trying to track down super hackers there's a lot of global maneuvering going on, and eventually those two ideas collide. So James, we'll start with you. What what did you think of the story of Splinter Cell Chaos Theory? Did you think it was better or worse than the story of the first Splinter Cell? So I thought the story of the first Splinter Cell was just okay. Um, here, I actually think that the story isn't very good at all, honestly. I found it very hard to follow the story's main plot beats, um, especially in the first half of the game, where it felt like you were chasing a, a never-ending string of, you know, people that didn't have much characterization. Like, it felt like the story, you know, as Sam Fisher, I was chasing down this guy who then was connected to this other guy who was connected to this other guy who was connected to this guy who was friends with this guy. And it kind of all blurs together in my memory. Like, I don't specifically remember which this guy was which guy, you know. Um, I found it very hard to relate to the story or to be interested or invested in any of these characters because they were basically introduced one mission and then thrown out immediately the next mission um, with barely any characterization to speak of, um, apart from maybe a couple that you got to interrogate briefly. Um, but I think the ending and how it all kind of comes together is a lot stronger, but just specifically the first half of the game I found to be a bit of a, you know, unengaging mess, to be honest. I basically agree. Uh, I, I think that you, you said it well when you said it was just a constant string of moving from person to person without fully understanding that person's importance. I think that the thing that the first Splinter Cell did well, even though I took issue with its overly jingoistic uh, story, I thought it was well paced and I thought there was a clear connection to the global events and the things that you were doing as Sam Fisher. Like there was always a clear connection there. This was just a bunch of stuff happening in a row. As you said, it's all kind of explained towards the end what's going on, but it needed to be better paced out throughout the story. So yeah, I, I also think the story wasn't very good. And as much as I criticize Splinter Cell's one story, I think that it was a far more cohesive package. Yeah, I think a big problem is that if you're going to have the main characters chasing after a string of different villains or, you know, contacts, 
um, and you're not really building up one, you know, super villain over the course of the whole story. You kind of need to have the main cast of characters have some kind of stakes in the issues at hand. In this, I felt that none of the main characters had personal stakes, so I didn't feel invested from that point of view either. Like, I wasn't learning about this cool villain like I was in Thief 2, and I also wasn't getting invested because the characters I cared about were getting invested. Um, that said, I do think there is one aspect of the story that Splinter Cell Chaos Theory does quite well, maybe even better than the first game. Um, and that is having the main characters have a lot of banter over the comms. Um, I thought that the reoccurring gags and like little, you know, jabs that all the characters took at each other throughout the course of the story was actually quite good. Um, and it actually made me, you know, like the main cast of characters a lot more than I had previously. Do you mean like um, Sam being old? <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. I felt like if they had, I guess kept you know had the main cast be more directly involved um maybe i would have been able to get more invested in the story because i did kind of like those additions to the game how did you feel conceptually about the way cyber warfare is depicted in chaos theory because i found it to be a little i don't know like a little quaint like a little, they they kept comparing the hackers saying, yes, he's the Oppenheimer of hackers. And they kept saying things like that and saying that, you know, information warfare and hacking and cyber warfare is the new way that uh, war will happen. And I think that at least what we've seen over the past 20 years, that although those things are extremely important, they're still, even today, they're still kind of a sideshow to true military might it seems to me that something that's really important is um you know delivering messages to the populations of opposing countries i guess like spreading misinformation mm. is really important and that wasn't really covered here that's more it like metal more... gear solid 2 covers right yeah, yeah yeah it was it was more like covering things like being able to black out a town uh, like a whole city or like attack the defense systems of a country or hack a stuff missile. like yeah yeah hack a missile that kind of thing which you know uh i felt like they often spoke about these things it, it seemed really weird to me because there were all these like big events in the story where like something big and important got hacked and then that would be important for one cut scene and then they'd forget about it and move on to the next like uh, very early on, within like the first couple missions or so, they find a quote-unquote infinite state machine, <laughs> something that would be like an insane technological achievement that would change humanity and it runs on the punch world cards? forever. And it runs on punch cards, <laughs> and they forget about it like a few, uh, like a mission later. When I, was when like, I saw oh. that, I was so confused. I'm like, it runs on I laughed, punch cards. <laughs> I, I laughed so hard. I was like, this is incredible. Yeah, I, and I was like, okay, the story is going to be about this AI thing. Yeah, and then they just kind of forgot about it. I was like, "What? That's insane! How can you? How can this not be a bigger part of the story?" It's funny because something like that does kind of exist today. Uh, open AI and things like it, where uh, a, a computer will uh, run a lot of simulations endlessly against itself to come to a solution. Mm. Uh, all of the top chess engines now do this. There's a Dota two engine that does it. There's a 
go thing that does it so like you when it was introduced i'm like oh this is really interesting and then like you said nothing it's just completely irrelevant it's, it's just nonsense it's like yeah. or or i think like it was part of the super hacking protocol or whatever but it's never explained why or how that would function it it all it all reads a lot like nonsense and i can see that in 2005 when this game was released it was probably thought of as a pretty good imagining of what warfare of the future would be like but now that yeah. we're in you know the year 2022 and cyber warfare it doesn't even remotely resemble it to me it came off as as a little quaint and just all a little silly it was also a bit weird that like throughout the story that you like you mentioned it they talk about sam's age like as a gag a few times but they never like in this age where we're transitioning to cyber warfare they never really touch on like his job being made obsolete by all of these changes to information gathering. It's just not even touched on, I felt, which is a bit weird. I don't think he would uh, become obsolete. I mean, he's still... If if he can break <laughs> into any secure location, that's, that's, yeah, that's well, never going to be Yeah, if any secure right? location is designed as they are in this game, well, of course he'll never be obsolete. <laughs> Anyone could do it. The, the, the locations are obsolete. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I yeah, so to summarize, I, I didn't really like the story. To and to be to be fair to the game, I don't think this if even if this was the worst story ever written, um, I don't think it would significantly make the experience overall that much worse. Because really, like I'm not playing this game for the story, I'm playing it for the stealth gameplay. So if the stealth gameplay is good, this game can have the worst story ever written and I won't care. Um, you know, obviously, if the story was great, like in Thief 2, it kind of ele elevates the experience to something really special. But, you know, as much as I dislike this story, the overall impact on my experience with the game isn't that high. Uh, I slightly disagree with that. I think the story in these games is important in the same way that story is important of Call of Duty. Like, you might be dismissive of story in Call of Duty, but I think a big reason people highlight call of duty 4 and modern warfare 2 as some of their favorites are primarily because of the storyline so i think that my lack of investment in the story did did mean that i was perhaps less interested in what i was doing like you in this regard i'm more of a mechanical gameplay version but i do think the story being a bunch of nonsense did actually detract from my potential enjoyment okay yeah sure um so this is a sequel episode um, so with the story discussion out of the way, do we want to talk about like um, how Splinter Cell has changed from the first game all the way to the third game? Because <laughs> it's added quite a few new systems, right? Yeah, so I guess first thing to explain is the kind of game that Splinter Cell is. And the, the, what, the I guess the similarities between the games, the, the character of Splinter Cell. So the thing about Splinter Cell as a stealth game is that I think the big thing you need to understand is that number one, it's in third person and number two, it is a linear stealth game. That's very important and it's the major point of distinction from a game like Thief or the later Metal Gear Solid games like Metal Gear Solid, specifically Metal Gear Solid 5 or even modern Hitman games. You are very much moving from room to room or like I'd, I'd even say like arena to arena and you're heading through them in a straight direction. 
you're not dropped in front of a large location and can explore at your leisure. You're kind of moving from chunk to chunk to chunk. In in some cases, it's room. Sometimes it's two or three rooms kind of joined together. Yeah, I, in Splinter Cell 1, I felt like the game was a series of pu- like stealth puzzles connected by some hallways that sometimes also had puzzles. Um, mm-hmm. But it was much more linear than I had been expecting. And in the first game, I actually really enjoyed the linearity as because I felt it gave it a distinct flavor um, as opposed to something like Thief or the many other stealth games that are quite open. Um, And I felt that Splinter Cell 1 pulled that linear style off quite well, actually. And I was quite impressed at how fun it was, despite, you know, being surprisingly linear. Yeah, and I was as too I was too. I'm extremely I was extremely high on the first Splinter Cell. And I think that a lot of that was the tightness of those arenas that you were sneaking through. And it was a lot of fun figuring out how to ghost through them. Uh, so that's the basic idea behind Splinter Cell. You start at one end of one of these rooms or arenas. You can usually spot the exit to the arena, maybe not straight away. Maybe you need to move halfway through the room before you see the exit. And you need to move from one end of the room to the other, or you need to hack a computer halfway through the room and then go up some stairs and exit or whatever it is. So it's very much a room-by-room room kind of stealth game. Uh, so that's what Splinter Cell is like. So let's talk a little bit about what Chaos Theory has introduced and what it does differently. And I think what we'll do, James, is I'll I'll introduce a mechanic and then we'll have a discussion and then we can move on to the next mechanic. So I would say the biggest change and the thing we'll talk about first is the introduction of the OCP or the Optically Channeled Potentiator. So this is a little attachment on your pistol. If you're aiming with your pistol, you can press right click And it will basically send out a little mini EMP charge that disrupts electronics, uh, the the specific electronic it's targeting for, I don't know, somewhere between 20 and 30 seconds. So you can aim it at lights, computers, cameras. That's mostly it, but you can aim it at any electronic device and it will disable it temporarily. So James, let's let's start with this. What what did you think of the introduction of the OCP? Do you think it was good for the game or bad or somewhere in between? So I actually have very mixed feelings on this. So on one hand, I something that I've had a problem with with stealth games in the past is that I felt like you have a lack of interesting tools to use in your levels. Um, Thief 1 had the different arrow types, which kind of fixed that for that game for me. But I often feel like in stealth games, you get given all of these lethal tools that you never get to use because it's a stealth game and you don't get anything interesting. Now, the OCP makes like zero sense, like logically, there's no way this thing can exist in real life, obviously. But I guess if it adds a really interesting layer to the gameplay, then I don't really mind. Um, And in a lot of cases, this thing did. Um, So throughout the course of the whole game, because you have this from level one, I was finding a lot of different uses for this thing. Like you could turn lights out to make a little path to sneak through. Um, You could turn lights off and, you know, guards would notice the lights were flickering and walk over to investigate, which sometimes would break their pattern enough for you to slip by or to, you know, take them out while they were looking at the light. Um, There was one instance, and this was my favorite part of the entire game, where I was sneaking through uh, a gym 
and there was a guard or some bystander using a treadmill and I pointed it at the treadmill to turn the treadmill off and he went flying and then knocked himself out. That was great. Hmm. Um, and then at some point I started realizing that all of the stealth puzzles in the game I was solving with this thing and basically nothing else. Like this thing has a cooldown on it of like, I don't know, like five to seven seconds. Um, if you compare that to something like your gas grenades or your shock shots, you know, that you have like three of, you kind of, I kind of ended up defaulting to using this as my solution to every stealth puzzle. And as the game went on, it started to feel a bit samey because of this. Um, like there was a lot of different stuff I could do with it, but at you know, there was a limit to that. And once I kind of hit that limit um, and I was using this for basically everything, it started making the game just all blend together to me. So I like this inclusion to some extent. I think it's a really interesting tool that can be used in a lot of different ways. I guess I think that if I was to have, you know, if this was to be redone, I would want this to be more limited somehow, like to have a bigger downside or to have limited uses or something like that. So I wasn't, you know, feeling compelled to use it constantly over every other option that I had, because it's just, it's really powerful when you use it right. And you can basically always use it. With um, the way the game is currently designed, the OCP actively detracts from the gameplay. Uh, it's way too strong. The, the, yeah. thing is, the thing is busted in half and the level design challenge doesn't account for how busted in half it is. If there is a camera, in Splinter Cell 1, if there was a camera, you had to avoid the camera. You had, you had to take into account the camera swinging back and forth and avoid it. In this game, you just disable the camera. It, it's, it's knocked out for 20 to 30 seconds. You can easily cross the room in the time that that camera's out. If there's a guard in a room facing a door and there is a light above him, you can disable the light. And then when the guard gets confused as to why the light's out, you can stroll out to him and take him out. It's just, he's looking directly at you. You just right click on the light, no risk to you whatsoever. You take him out. And over and over and over throughout this game, this function completely invalidates a lot of the challenge throughout these levels. Yeah, I, I want to stress that, like, the first time I did each of those things you're describing, I thought it was really fun. Um, and then, like you said, the level design doesn't uh, ramp up in difficulty to the point where, like, to get through this room, you need to use your OCP on this light and then use this other gadget over here. Um, it's always you just use the OCP wait for it to cool down, use it again, and then that's the room solved. It kind of trivializes so much of the game that it goes from being this really novel, fun thing to being boring and overpowered, I guess. The, basically, the, the problem isn't with the tool in and of itself. Like, this, yeah. this could be a really cool tool, you, it, and it's very variable, and there's a lot of freedom in how you do it. But what you need is that you need the rooms to to understand that you have this tool at your disposal there shouldn't be one camera there should be two cameras or three cameras and you have to point out the one to disable in order to sneak through the gap of yeah. the other cameras when they're looking in specific spots to get through from you know the one first part in the room to the one third of the way through the room 
the the game is just designed as if you didn't have this tool it's it's insane like make make the game harder if you're giving us an overpowered tool you can't just throw splinter cell one difficulty or less than splinter cell one difficulty at, at us and give us this tool and expect us to be satisfied with the challenge that's presented here yeah it's interesting because i've never played a game with a tool like this in a stealth game before so i guess for the first few levels i don't mind that it's overpowered because i as a player am not very good at using it yet mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like near the middle of the game and near the end where they start to need to be like, okay, um, now we expect you to know how to use this thing. So we're going to make every level expect you to use it plus do some extra stuff. Uh, I think it's a, you know, a problem with it not ramping up enough in terms of the stealth puzzles. Cause like, you know, I'm basically in complete agreement with you that overall, this is probably negative to be honest yeah and it hurts to say that doesn't it because because yeah, it's, it's a cool it's, idea yeah because i like the thing like don't get me wrong i really like this tool in a stealth game because i think it's like this ability to manipulate the light you know we had that in thief one with water arrows you know it's obviously really important to the gameplay experience and i think uh here with the theming and the story about cyber warfare it could be really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there was actually also an aspect where I thought it was disappointing, like not strong enough, <laughs> um, which is funny to say. Yeah, um, so in Splinter Cell, you have access to a number of different visors that you can put on, like night vision, thermal vision, and I think it's added for this game electrical vision, which allows you to see electronic things and the wires and the circuitry connected to them. Um, and... I think that's added for this game for this tool and something that I noticed as early as the first level is that lots of the electronic equipment have all these wires coming off them that meet at these circuit boxes around the level and I was thinking oh okay if I shoot this circuit box or I zap it with the gun it'll disable all three things at once. Uh, it doesn't do that. You can't interact with those circuit boxes at all. I was like very surprised and thought it was like maybe they intended to implement this feature but then didn't that that sounds what it, it is or, or they were like man this is way too strong being able to d- disable three devices at once but you're mm. right that if it disabled them for five seconds instead of 30 seconds maybe something <laughs> like that would be more reasonable and it could be you know these two specific devices are connected i can see how in theory that would be interesting yeah, it, the inclusion of this thing has a huge impact on the game, and I would say that it is equally responsible for the most fun I had in this game, and equally responsible for the least fun I had in this game towards the end, once I, you know, the initial enjoyment of the thing wore off, and then it just kind of made everything very samey. Yeah, and and I think that if the game was designed differently, it could be a cool feature. But the game as is, it it detracts from the gameplay, and the game would have been more enjoyable without it. Which is, like I said, it hurts to say because it's a cool yeah, addition, but that's that's the truth of what it's like in practice. Yeah, um, you mentioned before that Splinter Cell is characterized by its linearity. I would say that this game kind of breaks away from that a bit. I think there are a bunch of levels in this game that are a lot more open than there were previously in this series, or at least in the first game. 
Um, like the boat, for example, I think uh, when you go to a few of the headquarters, um, there are a bunch of levels that I think you can tackle in different orders. But it's not like the level is completely open. It's more like there's maybe two or three paths possible. Alrighty, now it's time for me to get controversial, James. So I agree with you. I, I think that Splinter Cell Chaos Theory is slightly more open than the original Splinter Cell. As you said, there are specific parts of the game where there is an alternate pathway-ish to the objective. Mm. I actually think that this detracts from the gameplay of Splinter Cell, and I prefer the way Splinter Cell 1 did it. Okay. Let, let me explain. So... I have always said that I preferred the open-ended level design of Thief to the closed-off linear level design of Splinter Cell. That being said, I think what Splinter Cell did really, really well was present you a tight little stealth puzzle. It's, we have three guards patrolling in this area, and you have to identify how to sneak through that area, that kind of semi-open area with three guards patrolling. And picking the window where you can sneak through is quite challenging and interesting. The problem with opening that up a bit, the problem with giving you more choices without also increasing the guard density, which Splinter Cell Chaos Theory doesn't, is that you lose the tight puzzle-like design of Splinter Cell 1 and it kind of just becomes a lot of guards kind of spread out and separated from one another or at the very least as part of that patrol routes they'll inevitably all be going down corridors the different parts of the level that are split up so it becomes extremely easy to isolate them so in the end what you get is you get a game that is basically once again extremely easy to get through the level because they have not increased the guard density to reflect the change in level design that they've implemented here you needed i would say twice the number of guards particularly as you start moving through the levels and the levels start getting more difficult for a lot of these levels to actually impose anything resembling a reasonable challenge so overall i thought that even though in principle I support the idea of more open level design, the fact that there aren't more guards in the level to reflect that openness led to a less enjoyable experience for me. Yeah, I tend to agree. It's, it's especially a problem when we're just playing this game once for the show, because I feel like open level design really shines on replay playthroughs, but as we only played the game once, it's very easy to just see the negatives here. And I kind of agree because, you know, those scenarios you mentioned where there's like three guards and you need to figure out the exact, you know, part in their pattern to where you can go or you can make a little distraction. Those puzzles are largely not present here. And instead you have a very, you get into a lot of situations that are very by the numbers. You're like, okay, I'll wait for these two to go down the split path and then I'll take this guy yeah. out, drag him, wait. It's very, I'm never, it never feels like I'm solving a puzzle. It just feels like I'm going through the motions over and over and over again. There, right? there are like, usually two guards, like usually, 
uh, very rarely you'll get a third guard, but even that guard will often go off and sit down somewhere. But usually it's two guards and those two guards will walk away from one another and you just take one out. You don't have the overlapping patrol patterns where there's they're spending a lot of time looking at one another so it's difficult to get them isolated and especially with the you know the pistol attachment mm-hmm. even if there is like three guards you can just like shoot a light with it and when it flickers all three will gravitate towards the light <laughs> like moths and you'll just walk past them and it's like cool or you'll just spend ages shooting the same light until they've all walked up to it and then you can just go on your merry way i think this seems like a good segue into ai right because i think that theoretically a lot of the improvements to ai are better than they actually are in practice yeah i actually had some problems with the ai myself like i felt like it failed to do what it intended to do um on me a few times but go ahead explain it and then we'll get into that yeah so i i think that the some of these improvements to ai i actually like a lot so the big one of the big changes is that is that AI detection has been improved dramatically. So the artificial intelligence will notice if a light switch has been turned on or off. They'll notice if a computer has been turned on and off. They'll notice if doors are closed or not. Some of the time, not all of the time, they'll notice that their patrolling team member has gone missing. They, If all the lights are out, they'll bring out a flare or a, or a torch and start sweeping it around. I even saw an instance of a guard throwing a flare into a dark area, which was, which was quite cool to see. Um, so uh, and they also, I, I was playing on Expert. They could definitely hear me from further away than in Splinter Cell 1, which meant that yep. I had to be pretty much walking completely silent <laughs> the entire time I was playing, which, which is a good change. Like it, it should be, you should be punished for making noise, particularly when we'll talk about it later. There is a whole noise mechanic in this game that can let you get noisy. But, but like James said, the introduction of this tool that lets you shoot out lights and just kind of how freely you can walk around in circles around AI uh, when you're in complete darkness means that once you've you know finally remembered to close all the doors, the AI, AI is trivial to deal with. Yeah, I liked that. You know, you could that that they would go and investigate differences like an open door or a mm. turned off light. Uh, I thought that was good. You could abuse it in a lot of situations, and I found you know when a when I was learning to abuse that, it was satisfying. Um, there were some cases where it did not work for me. Um, so a big example of this for me is in the bathhouse level. Um, early on, there's like a storeroom that is connected to a bigger room that has a few guards in it. And something that happened to me was the guard room, uh, the big room that I wasn't in was dark. Um, and I was in the storeroom that had the light turned on and all the doors were shut. So what I did was I'll turn the light off in here, then open the door so that the doorway is in pitch black. So I do that, and what happens is they don't see me because I'm in pitch black, but they can see that the door is open now and that the light in the storeroom is off, and then they trigger an alert because even though they can't see me standing there, they can now see the door. It's like it's not equal... You know, they're not treating aren't these they, things equally. Are they noticing that the light's off there? 
Yeah, but how can they even tell that the door's open if they can't see like a person oh, right. standing in the door? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. That you're saying that they shouldn't have been able to tell the difference between the the door being the open door and closed. Being open and closed. Yeah, that shouldn't have triggered dark. it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That that does sound like a bug with the um with the coding. Yeah, I didn't have too many of these. Like that kind of thing happened to me occasionally. There was also something that happened. It happened two or three times to me during my playthrough. I couldn't make it happen consistently, but sometimes if I was standing completely still in the dark um, and I turned off a light with the OCP, um, guards would like whirl around and walk towards me, whereas usually they would walk towards the light that's flickering. And I'd I don't know if I had moved or something, but that happened to me a few times where they just somehow knew where I was. Um, even though they, you know, it hadn't triggered an alert or anything, they were just three guards tiptoeing towards me by coincidence. I don't know. Yeah, it, it is It is interesting because stealth AI in general does suck in every game. So it's not like... I don't think Splinter Cell's AI is necessarily worse than in other games, and I actually think it's like better than what's in. I Thief, think it's for better. Example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like for example, them patrolling in, you know, having two people investigate something is actually not a bad thing because if one person's investigating, it's a free knockout, right? Yeah. If there's two people, it becomes a lot harder, and I think yeah. that once again. The issue, and I know I'm I'm going to be repeating this a lot because I think that it's a big part of why the the moment to moment gameplay of this game was kind of like a bit whatever to me. It's that there's just not enough guards or not enough guards plus cameras plus drones. Like it's just not enough stuff in these levels to cause you problems. So with the dumb AI and the fact that there aren't many of them, once you know how to exploit them. You can just exploit them. And the fact that the level design is linear means that you're not really taken off guard and you don't have... So the level design factors into this as well, right? Because in a thief level, you will come to different areas from different approaches dynamically all the time. And some approaches are going to be naturally better than others. So what will happen is you'll go to an area, you'll encounter the AI, you know, with two guards looking at the door you want to go through, and you'll turn around and you'll, you know, come back later or come from a different angle and have that advantage. In Splinter Cell, you don't ever do that. You 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 see the enemies, you take out the light, they walk towards you, and then you take that enemy out. Like, it doesn't feel like you've got the variance in level design to, to support this level of stupidity of AI. Yeah, I would say the AI was fine to good, honestly, like, compared to a lot of other stealth games. Like, I thought that it was okay um but like you said there's just not enough guards uh like i think that the changes to the ai are on the whole an improvement but i think that in tandem with the other things we've mentioned it kind of ends up being a bit whatever right yeah a good example of where i think this worked is actually metal gear solid 5 like metal gear solid 5 when you're invading an outpost there are like 20 guards in that outpost you've got some people in guard towers you've got some people standing around the campfire you have multiple enemies patrolling all over the place in complex patterns it's a far more i don't know i I felt like that game had the density of guards so that even though the ai metal gear solid 
five in some ways is worse than Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, it didn't matter. So yeah, I, I agree with you, James. I think that the AI is pretty decent, but I'm saying that it being pretty decent doesn't matter if there's not enough of it. I kind of agree. You know what, James? We've been we've I, I, I feel the need to say that yes, I'm I'm being pretty negative and we'll we'll continue talking about the game, but I think that in our negativity I'm maybe over exaggerating my overall feelings about the game so far. Like I think that Splinter Cell Chaos series is still still a functional game and everything. It was just surprising to me uh, that it was so much worse than Splinter Cell 1. And that really took me off guard because all of these improvements should have theoretically improved the experience. But I ended up, you know, enjoying the more stripped back Splinter Cell 1, you know, gameplay and level design and everything. I was kind of worried about recording this episode because I felt the exact same <laughs> way. Like, I, I was excited to play this game because I really liked the first game and everyone ever... But any opinion I've ever seen is that this game is like a million times better than the first. And I was like, is there something wrong with me? Like, I just preferred the first game like a lot, uh, you know, over this. So I'm kind of glad that you agree with me here, although I imagine not everyone will. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we sorry, James, we, we probably should have a music break now and then and then we'll continue. I actually did like the music in this game. Um, there was one thing that really annoyed me. Um, it was that whenever you trigger an alarm, the music will instantly switch to this tense high alert theme. Um, and then once you take out all the threats, it actually takes like a full minute, <laughs> maybe more, for the music to go back to the stealth sound. And because I used the music often as a cue to know how stealthy I was being, what, what would often happen is like I would sneak up on a guard and then quickly change my speed to run to close the little distance and then knock him out. And then for like two frames, he would see me trigger the high alert music, but he would, you know, get knocked out instantly. And then I would just have to sit there for like a minute until the music went back to normal before I could play again because I relied on it a lot to know if I'd been seen. Um, so that kind of got on my nerves. But on the whole, I really like the soundtrack in this game. Something that Splinter Cell Chaos Theory does really well is that it manages to have themes that aren't just ambient noise, basically. Like, I feel like all the stealth games we've played, maybe with the exception of No One Lives Forever, has just, you know, ambient droning, basically, as the soundtrack. Whereas I felt like Splinter Cell Chaos Theory manages to have a number of themes that are, you know, high tempo while still while still being, you know, on theme for the genre. Um, and my favorite of these was the cargo theme, which played on the ship level, um, which I thought was fantastic. And I really enjoyed that, um, you know, going through that level and listening to the music. Um, like you, I also liked the music. Uh, like you also, I was also extremely irritated by that combat music lasting forever. In general, I thought that the combat music was just a bit too much. A lot worse. Yeah, well, I, I didn't it, like it's, it. It's not even that I dislike the combat music uh intrinsically it's that it's you know like i could listen to the combat music it's fine combat music it's that for a stealth game it's just too much like like you said in that exact situation where you you know trigger an alert for a couple of seconds and then evade it you want it to go back to being silent again so that you can play the stealth game again without music blaring in your ways and 
having to sit there and wait until it ends or wondering if there's an alert going somewhere else is is an act of detriment. But uh, yeah, I, I like the music as well. And I would say my preference is still towards the ambient droning, personally. Yeah. <laughs> of course you would. Yeah, well, I thought that, there were, you know, it could have done a better job at having layers too. Like, I felt like there needed to be a midpoint where there was music for guards that were suspicious. Once again, like Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the tense music, yeah, the yellow yeah, music. Yeah, it, it kind of felt very binary. It was like either, you know, stealth music or like ear-blasting music um, and not a lot of in-between. But, you know, on the whole, I thought the soundtrack was good and the song that I'd like to share with you for the most music break is the El Cargo theme, so here it is. So that was the El Cargo theme. I thought it was great. Um, we have been pretty negative this episode so far. So, And I do want to agree with Patrick that, you know, on the whole, um, I wouldn't say that I'm severely negative on the game. I just agree that in comparison to the first game, I'm kind of surprised it's not better, to be honest. But I do want to talk about things we did like about the game. Um, and I guess for me, the... Ease of control, I guess, is something that I wanted to bring up, because in the first game I felt that the controls were very smooth, and that remains the case here. Um, I think they did a good job of streamlining a few systems, like the inventory management I found a lot easier in this game. Um, compared to the first, uh, I felt that the the way they do the tutorial in this game, basically there's a series of videos in the menu that you can access at any time, was really handy for somebody coming back to the series after about a year or more. Um, you know, you could just be playing a level and then be like, ah, oh, I know that I can, you know, use my jump. legs. 
yeah, do a split jump, but I don't know exactly how to do it. So I'll just quickly open the menu. Oh, there's an acrobatic section and I'll watch this. Oh, that's how I do it. I, and I can quit out of the video at any time and go back to gameplay. You know, it was very unintrusive and very helpful. I actually really liked the way they did the tutorial in this game. I thought it was very, um, you know, I think it's better than a lot of games do tutorials, actually. I thought it made getting back into the series a breeze, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I guess because it's the third one in the series, having a degree of assumed knowledge is fine. But, yeah, I mean, I kind of think that it's still probably a good idea to have a tutorial level for someone who's never played the game before, even if it's just like a training course. Because uh, it can be nice to just do those things in a row rather than just watch videos. As long as, long as it's optional. <laughs> as long as I'm not forced to go through it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like an interesting way of doing, tu doing tutorials. I uh, kind of like how uh, it's done in modern fighting games almost. The thing I wanted to bring up, like my favorite addition to this game, something that I love to pieces, is the sound meter. Uh, so the idea is that in Chaos Theory, there is often ambient sound. Uh, so there, it could be um, lightning in the background. It could be gunshots. It could be someone listening to a radio. It could be industrial noise nearby, whatever it is, or like the sound of a generator. There's um, often ambient sound in the background. And as long as your volume is lower than that ambient noise, whether it's, you know, shooting a silence pistol or the speed at which you run increasing your movement speed you can make noise up to the the uh the level of ambient noise and not be detected and i just wanted to say that i think this idea is fantastic i think that it's very cool that most of the time your sneak speed is very limited to not making any noise at all but by introducing ambient noise in specific areas, it gave me options to actually move faster than the silent move speed in a lot of spots. So I felt like that ambient noise was giving me freedom of movement in specific parts of the level. Um, and I, I really enjoyed its implementation. So yeah, if there's one thing I like from Chaos Theory clearly better than Splinter Cell as an added feature, it's definitely the, the sound meter. That's interesting. I actually have the opposite opinion um, here. Um, I felt like when I got to the end of Splinter Cell 1, something I started learning was that you could actually move quite fast without being noticed behind enemies as long as you did it, you know, strategically. Like you could mm -hmm. run for a bit and then slow down and you could, use, you know, manipulate the speed of Sam to... You know, like at the start of the game, I was very conservative and always sneaking on the slowest speed. And then near the end of the game, I felt like I understood the mechanics and I could sprint lots of the time um, and then slow down strategically, which I thought was fun because I got to learn the mechanics of the game and, you know, move around fast, which is just moving fast is more fun than moving slow in general, right? Mm -hmm. That's how I feel. So... It felt like here I actually got to move fast less than in the first game because I had to only do it in the specifically designated fast spots. Um, so I thought that it made a lot of sense. And when I first started playing the game, I did also share your opinion that I liked its inclusion. And then in the last levels where I was trying to push myself, I realized I couldn't push myself 
and push the game's limits as much anymore because of its inclusion, I started to kind of resent it because, uh, you know, near the end of the game, I was still sneaking on the lowest speed most of the time and it was because of this system that they added which is you know more realistic but to me a bit less fun than me learning to zoom around unrealistically and just have fun because i'm good at the game i guess it like limited me in that sense i i think i think you have an interesting point you're basically saying that if you have all these different levels of move speed isn't it more interesting if you get to master like yeah the correct times to use it whereas in splinter cell 80 to 90 percent of your time is going to be spent on the bottom two speeds i guess i like the idea of having hyper alert guards because in a game that's so trivial in terms of level design and how few guards one of the only things that makes it tricky is the fact that you have to move slowly and if i could move faster and more more the whole game would be trivial it it would be even easier so i i think that in the perfect like i i think that you raise a good point and that in our dream version of chaos theory with you know a lot more guards and you know cameras and everything having more freedom over your and control over your movement would be a good thing yeah i agree that in the current here like in the actual game it would make an easy game even easier yeah, yeah. I, I mean i think it's fair but but yeah overall i just liked this idea of um use basically this ambient noise gave me the option to use bursts of speed in certain spots where i wasn't otherwise able to use them so I, I, I thought it was a cool inclusion, but I, I take I take the, your point, James. Was there any point in the game where you strategically turned on like a radio to enable that fast movement? Because I... No, because by the time you're at the radio, you've already solved the problem. <laughs> the big one for me was there were some North Korean and South Korean soldiers having a firefight. And at one point, um, a South Korean soldier kind of like ran forward, shot a burst of fire, and then ran back in a short window. And because it was a war zone and they were shooting their guns, I was able to like sprint in the gap behind yeah. behind the other soldier because it was because it was loud. Because I started off trying to sneak through and there wasn't enough time. And then I realized, oh, the ambient noise is loud. I can actually run through to make it in time. But but there weren't I mean, that maybe happened, I don't know, five or six times throughout the entire playthrough. Mm. It would have been fun if your pistol could turn on videos. I reckon that uh, would yeah. be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is a, that's a cool idea. Yeah, that could make the levels interesting because then you open up these rooms where in order to get through them, you need to do it at a certain speed, but that speed is too loud. But you can fix that by turning on the radio. I think you could do that. That would be fun. There's also the option of like, there are these generators that power lights and you can turn the generators off, but then you lose the noise cover. But turning off the lights is always going to be a zillion times better than having it be slightly noisier. So There's only a couple of these generators too in the whole game, I felt like. Yeah. Um, so it could have been more. But like I said, like why why would you ever have the lights on? You can <laughs> you can just basically walk down the middle of the level, no no threats at all if there are no <laughs> yeah. lights. So it's a bit of a false choice. It, it is a bit. Um so let's talk a bit more about the level design. I want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um specifically I don't know about you, but something I liked about Splinter Cell 1 was that I felt like each new level introduced a new gameplay system to some extent. Like, I remember 
That was the level that introduced the wall mines, and then most of the level made a lot of use of that mechanic. There's one like with the, turrets, like a lot of. There turrets. was one with turrets. Yeah, there was the one with the keypads and having to get the fingerprints. Was it? I felt like they didn't do that as much this time around. Like, um, and because of that, the levels didn't have this mechanical identity to them that I felt the levels in the first game did. Like, I distinctly remember that level where you're going up through the two buildings that has mines everywhere and there's that bit where you have to sprint through the burning building to disarm the bomb but not too fast or you'll blow some of the mines up um there was that level the avatar with the turrets that you mentioned and the you know the freezer rooms with the low visibility yeah i, I even remember the um like there's one part where you have to go over this roof and it's like extremely difficult because yeah. if you make any like it's got like these boards laid over the roof that make less noise than the other ones i agree i i think that the even stuff like i remember climbing over the collapsing oil rig like I just remember yeah, and it was more, very vertical. more individual parts instead of them kind of all fading together. I, w- I will say that I think the last couple of levels are more visually distinct. At least I remember them a lot more clearly than like the group of levels in the middle. Yeah, I think that level design wise, the first third of the game is actually quite strong. Um, and then it falls off for me. Like, I think the first level is fine. I think the boat is pretty good. And I think the bank is just an excellent stealth level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the ones in the middle kind of fell off. And then you hit, like, Bathhouse at the end, which I think is, like, actively bad. Okay, hold up. Can we talk about Bathhouse? Yeah. I want to talk about something specific to this level and to my experience. Um we mentioned this a lot already, but the the OCP, you know, the inclusion of this thing that turns off lights makes the whole experience really samey. Um, and because you can use it a million times, it feels better to use it rather than like your limited gas canisters or your shock shots. I got up to Bathhouse and at this point I was not having a lot of fun with the game and was like, okay, maybe this is a problem with me. Um, This game has a lot of tools, and I'm only using one of these tools. Maybe I'm being boring. So what I'll do is I'll use all the tools. I'll use all the shock darts, and I'll use all the gas canisters. So I did that. I used, like, literally everything and avoided using the pistol. Um, And then I got to the end of the level and had no shock darts. Um, And I came up against a heap of enemies that are basically immune to everything but shock darts. And basically I had to restart the level and was like, I guess I was right all along and I should have just been using the pistol. Hey, I, I think that Barthouse is this uniquely interesting level and that you were a victim of circumstance more than anything else. So Barthouse is half a good level and half an atrocious level. The first half of the level I actually think is probably... If, if Barthouse was... Honestly, if Barthouse was only the first half and... It's probably that my favorite level in the game. Like I found really? parts okay. of Bathhouse quite challenging, actually. Bathhouse has more open areas with two to three guards than any other level in the game, and there's a lot more light in that level than any other yes. level in the game. So I really, really enjoyed the first half of Bathhouse. It was it was fun to figure out and get through. The second half of Bathhouse is a fucking shootout. And I've always said in Splinter Cell 1, I said the worst part of that game, there are two mandatory like shootouts where you have to shoot people with your gun 
and the second half of Bathhouse is an extended sequence of shootouts. And then there's some story stuff that we can go into later, which is fucking ridiculous. But the second half of Bathhouse is terrible, like absolutely atrocious. And I assume that that's what you mean when you said you'd used all your tools so you didn't have anything left for those more shootout scenes. Yeah, because there are those guards that they can see in the dark. Um, they are they have gas masks on, so they're immune to gas canisters. <laughs> and on expert, um, you die in two bullets. Like in it's two just bullets. Like bang bang, dead instantly. They're escape. always in groups, and in Splinter Cell, guns are very bad. Like if you headshot someone with a pistol in this game, they do not die. If you headshot them twice, sometimes they do not die. Um, your SMG is very bad it's inaccurate it does very low damage um but it does have like you know three to five you know shock things that insta take out enemies which i'd used all of them but those enemies that they introduce and come at you in packs of three or four basically can only take them out either by getting close to them and knocking them out or shocking them um and they move faster can't... like it's it's very hard to actually sneak up behind them in those sections because they're hyper alert to your presence and they move twice the speed of other guards. Yeah, and taking out lights doesn't do anything to them, which I was actually, at first, I was like, sweet, I can't use the stupid pistol to solve this problem. And then I was like, oh, I can't really use anything to solve this problem because I used it all. <laughs> uh, I, I said we'd talk about it later, but I just need to talk about it now because it's so fucking stupid. Like, I was laughing. There's a bit where you have to, in that mission, where you have to defuse three bombs. And yeah, the- <laughs> I wanted to talk about this because this this reminded me of that room in Mega Man Two. You know the um the puzzle. Mega with, Man Two. You to, okay. Yeah, you know that room that had the puzzle that had the enemies yes. all over the walls. It yeah. reminded me of that because you had to do it in a very specific order, and it was very unforgiving to you fucking up, um, which was very unsatisfying. And to be honest, like. I sat there for like 40 minutes trying to get past this stupid room and then got mad and just like save scummed through it. it was like fuck this yeah I also save scummed through it because there's a bit where some patrolling guards come up behind you and you have to climb up a ladder onto on top of something and if yeah. and you climb up there and they just kill you before you have a chance <laughs> to do anything the, the part of the level that I wanted to bring attention to was when um basically as you defuse each bomb uh yeah <laughs> your friend kind of like the person you're trying to pursue you're you're just stuck there defusing the bomb it's basically a cutscene. you can't do anything but each time you defuse each bomb he kind of like walks around a corner and delivers a 15 second spiel before disappearing into mist <laughs> and then you go on to the next bomb he does it again and all i could think about was uh fear do, do you know fear jebs uh do you mean the fear yeah, from the, metal gear solid 3 no 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 there's there's a the <laughs> fps game fear because uh, yeah, i know of the game yeah there's there's a ghost girl that always appears and kind of like walks across your screen or like you get to a top of a ladder and she's there and because he just comes from fucking nowhere he walks into view and then he walks out of you and he does it three times it's it's yeah, the most like, it's bizarre more like- thing 
It's more like the sorrow or the end yeah. kind of how they like yeah. pop in. But it's like it's not like good how it is in Metal Gear. It's not meant to be mystical or spooky. This is meant to be like a Tom Clancy grounded, somewhat realistic thing. But he somehow got these magical powers of teleportation. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and then the end of the level kind of accumulates with what I think is supposed to be like an emotional climax or character it's moment so for Sam stupid. Fisher. It's so and it's stupid. terrible. It's so like bad. this character does not have enough screen time to merit this kind of emotional climax like i did not feel anything like it felt like this was trying to be you know what the fight against the boss is at the end of metal gear solid 3 except like terrible let okay so let's just say spoilers now because i i just we need to talk about this so so full spoilers now if you really don't want chaos theory spoiled for you jump ahead 10 15 minutes so uh where we left off fisher's trying to track down these super hackers he eventually realizes that these super hackers are connected to um two people his friend shetland who works for he's like an american mercenary not mercenary independently contracted like security slash defense company and also the japanese uh, specifically the general in charge of the information self-defense force. The idea is that they both have different motivations. Shetland's is he wants to start World War Three to burn the world to the ground so he can start over in a new glorious world. I'm not kidding. And the yeah, Japanese... because America's sick and he needs to burn it all to the ground. <laughs> now, you may be thinking that this reminds you of a certain senator from a certain Metal Gear game. Uh, <laughs> who wants to, you know, bring everything tumbling down because America is sick. They do not ever talk about this supposed sickness before this, like, speech where he's like, we need to burn it down, Sam. It's like, we Sam, why, why, you, though? why are you following your, your country's orders? It's like, there's not much controversial. In fact, in the game, Sam keeps wanting to murder people and his boss keeps saying, unfortunately, I can't let you murder innocent civilians over and over again. It's Except like, for that one time with the chopper pilots. Yeah, that was, then, that was yeah. quite suspicious. I was like, this is this could be quite interesting, but it's just this one-off note that actually doesn't make Go any anywhere, sense. Yeah. Also, it doesn't make sense. Like, why wouldn't he want him to protect the chopper pilots like it's inconsistent with the character of the guy like i it, it feels like it's just thrown in there so shetland's motivations are fucking stupid and he's a moron like just a giant moron it's far stupider than you would even expect from a game like this yeah it was really annoying too because i don't know what they were trying like this is a moment in the game where you have a choice as a player you can either shoot him immediately or you can like do a few other things but i shot him immediately like i yeah, didn't me too. i, didn't I was hesitate. like i was like rolling my eyes during his speech it wasn't even like it wasn't like hammy in a good way it wasn't like cheesy or funny <laughs> like in metal gear like metal gear characters you're talking about metal gear this- revengeance right yeah, and even in, like, 3, the characters are this... Like, the characters are even stupider than this, but it's, like, played for laughs, most of it. Uh, Maybe not played for laughs, but it's, like, 
it's stylized is maybe a good way yeah, to put it's, it. It's, it's not taking itself too seriously. Uh, yeah, it just does that kind of thing so much better than this does. Like The other part of it I thought was better. Uh, so the Japanese general who's partnered with Shetland, he wants Japan to return to its glorious empire years. And he thinks that the only way that that can happen is that if a war breaks out, because Japan hasn't been able to have a military for the past you know, 60 years, there needs to be a war. If a war starts, uh, Japan's military class can ascend to ascend to glory once again instead of kind of being looked upon with disdain and minimalized. So it's still stupid. Like, obviously, someone who just wants war to start for their own personal motivations is, is, is not, you know, is a pretty silly motivation. But it was, it made sense to me. Like, you you can sell that to me as a bad guy and I'll be on board with it. Yeah, I can get behind that guy. Like, he's yeah. got this sense of national pride, right? Yeah, um, and he even, he even goes ahead and commits uh, seppuku, which, you know, maybe that's just a... It was seri- a bit on the nose. Well, yeah, it, it seemed so, a bit... So it is a bit on the nose. I, I agree. However, if we... It is consistent with his character who wants to see the return of Japan to its glory is empire years, right? Like it, yeah. it is a bit of caricature, I agree, but it's not in- incoherent or incohesive. The main problem with that scene is that it's right at the end of the game, like literally in the last room and he's looking at a computer and as soon as you walk down the hallway, he whirls around and it's like, there you are. Like, he, it's just like a scripted scene where he spots you no matter where you're hiding. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. Um, yeah, I can get behind that character a lot more than Shetland. Um, I, I Honestly, I can get behind Shetland's whole, like, America is sick point of view. But they need to justify it in levels prior to that before this big speech where it comes out of nowhere and he doesn't even give a single reason as to why he thinks, you know, the way he does. It's just, it's really weird. I I think that it would have worked if Sam Fisher was being consistently told to do dodgy not dodgy shit because it's obviously dodgy but maybe maybe um, immoral actions and then you know you can have the option to obey them or not but by then when you reach the end of the game the stuff that shetland is saying about the agency using it for for its nefarious ends would ring true but it just doesn't like you're 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 the good guy and he's the bad guy and it's completely unambiguous i think this is once again tom clancy's jingoism coming to the fore he cannot imagine a world where the united states of america is bad so the character that you know thinks these things has to come across as like ridiculous and stupid as and a silly. nutcase yeah yeah because yeah, tom clancy completely... believes in the united states as you know he's got a lot of pride in the united states and its institutions so he just cannot fundamentally accept that it could be bad so instead of a more nuanced exploration you know justified terrorism all that kind of stuff you know even though i believe terrorism can never be justified etc it's it can can be a complex issue uh we get none of that it's just once again a very very black and white situation yeah at the end of that level sucks um which is kind of disappointing because i felt i like that level i like the last level the last level was yeah the end sequence and the end set of maneuvers you need to do is actually quite good i thought the last level was good yeah where you're sneaking behind all of the different forces i think i think that when the force the different forces were kind of like having firefights with one another it was kind of interesting sneaking in and around them 
Um, even though it tended to involve a lot of platforming, which I wasn't a big fan of in this game. <laughs> but uh, but I, I like the idea of a firefight going in and around you and you just kind of sneaking around it and no one knowing that you were there. Yeah, and uh, like honestly, I think that overall, you know, other than the issues with the enemy density that we mentioned and the reliance on the one weapon... I think the level design is pretty good here for the most part. Like, I think that the bank level specifically is just a fantastic level. Um, I thought that all the different things that you got to do were really fun throughout it. I thought that it had a cool climax and then a got your moment when you left the safe. You know, I thought in the I thought the first four levels were pretty fun. And then I think it was about getting to displace where it kind of dropped off a bit for me. See, I, it's hard, right? It's like, where does the, like, are the guards and their patrol routes part of the level design or whatever? Yeah. Because I, I just think that overall, like, if you look at it in a holistic way, the level design got worse, which is a weird thing to say. Like, I, I, I get that. I know, I know that it's more open and everything, but it kind of, I, I think it's almost playing against Splinter Cell's strengths. And I'm sure there's a version of this game that could have existed that where they accounted for the differences in level design, but they just didn't. And as a result, I think the level design is worse. The more simplistic, tighter level design of Splinter Cell 1 is better. I, I do agree that it's fine. Like, Splinter Cell Cassidy level design is fine, but it just doesn't hit the high notes of the first game. I think there are spots in the game that you mentioned where you like the end of the boat level where you yes. kind of have unlocked all the doors and you can kind of go up all the different levels and onto the top deck i think there are actually a lot of guards on the top of the deck yeah i i agree um, with that part yeah that that one was that was the point where i'm like oh okay this is this is kind of getting interesting yeah i think that bit specifically is really good and is i think the boat is an example where they did mostly a good job with having this big level design and enough guards to make it interesting. Um, whereas something like uh, North Korea, there was just like one guard every few rooms and it was just not enough by so much. Yeah, South Korea um, was the same. Like those Korean levels were just very, very... Yeah, the other thing, the the boat level also had that room with the explosive gas in it, which was quite fun to figure out how yeah, to navigate. Yeah, because you couldn't use yeah your guns or anything like that, and you couldn't trigger shots at all. I thought that was fun. Yeah, like on the whole, I the boat is one of my favorite levels. Um, and I reckon you know I watched some other people go through it, and they did it a few different ways. So when everything comes together and they uh, like nail all the different bits of the level design, this new version is superior to the level design in the first game, but I don't think they hit those highs enough that it is better on the whole. And I'm even lower than that. <laughs> I think they I I, th I think they rarely hit those highs. Like I yeah. think there's like I said, I think the final level's good. I think that the the first half of Bathhouse is good. And I think that there are individual parts of other levels which are decent. But on the whole it's just a lot of taking out guards one at a time in an extremely easy way something else that was good i think I, like i watched back through a playthrough of splinter cell one before you know we recorded i actually think this game is so visually superior to the first game uh it's not even close like this mm -hmm. game looks 
great still i think i love the level of like the way the lighting works in this game is a lot more sophisticated than it was in the first game like light bounces off surfaces much more naturally here i found that with you know i actually turned my brightness down because i thought it was easier to tell where dark and light was with the darker um and you know you are can be in legit pitch black like i think modern games are afraid to make the levels pitch black um whereas i think this game you can truly hide in you know the darkness when you want to well you you have your night vision goggles so yeah the the game has given you a tool for um to see in absolute pitch blackness so why not have parts of the level be pitch black force you to use it um i agree with you that that's a great point yeah and also the levels incorporate things like bathrooms and like stuff that's logically relevant to the level you know even if it's not relevant to the mechanical gameplay the levels feel more natural like i think they feel less video gamey i don't know it kind of added to my immersion i thought that on the whole this game looks fantastic still i will say i had a lot of bugs with this game caused by the visuals um that patrick says he didn't experience but i wanted to talk about because this actually caused me some major headaches throughout my playthrough. Um, so I have a two-monitor setup on my computer. I played through the Steam. We both played through the Steam version of this game. Um, and I played on my 2K monitor. And when I loaded up Splinter Spell Chaos Theory, it defaulted to 1440p. You know, my monitor's native resolution. And I was like, sweet, I'm surprised it supports that, but that's good. Um, and then... There were a bunch of bugs I encountered that apparently are only native to this, you know, kind of widescreen um, that I wanted to point out because they were significantly negative for me. The number one was that if I alt-tab or, you know, even sometimes just randomly, um, my night vision would bug out and instead of just illuminating the dark, it would set every pixel on my monitor to bright white, like every single pixel (laughs) and my retinas would be seared. Um, and I, multiple times I had to, like, I jumped in my chair because, you know, my eyes are just burning because this happened. Um, and I would say that happened six to eight times every single level. Um, I had this experience of having my eyes seared by the game bugging out. I um, may have stopped playing. <laughs> yeah, if well, if I I'd honestly would have stopped playing a bunch of times if I wasn't doing this for the show. It just, like, it physically made me uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I have a feeling those issues are probably you just having a big monitor. I, I'm not I'm not saying, like, it's your fault. I'm just saying that it probably, for whatever reason, you have a big monitor and it's screwing things up. Because I have a 1920 by 1080 monitor and I didn't encounter those issues. Yeah, because I looked online and this seemed to be a pretty common thing that people were complaining about. Um, the... Nobody online seemed to be able to offer a fix because what initially I had to do was every time it happened, I had to either close the game and open it again um, or alt-tab like 20 times until it fixed itself. Uh, In the end, I figured out that if you just change the resolution and then change it back, it always works every single time. So if you do play this game and that happens to you, just change the resolution. Um... Lowering my resolution permanently didn't fix it. It never went away, no matter how low I put it. So it's probably just the monitor size rather than the resolution that you're playing on. Um, The second bug that I encountered, and this actually made me quit the game once. Um, So I played up until North Korea, which is like 
you know, like 60, 70% of the game thinking that this was just part of the game, but it was a bug. So there's a hacking mini game that has two sides to your screen. There's like a, a list of numbers on your left that are possible passwords for the, you know, the digital lock. And there's a set of numbers on the right, which you can click on to like lock in. Um, and then if you lock in all four of the numbers, it breaks the lock. So what you can actually do is if you guess the password before locking in all the numbers, you can click on the set of numbers in the list. Hold on, hold on. Can, can I just check something? You can lock in the numbers when they light up. Yes. I literally never did that once. I just... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Because the idea is that it, it's like flash when it flashes... Uh, the right number, so it'll be 10, 20, 30, or 40 for the the last three digits, for example. I'd be like, oh, okay, so I'm looking for a number that ends in 40. And then it would keep going through different ones, and there'd be like 192. I'm like, okay, so one that starts with one, and then I'd pick it from the list every time. Yeah, so if you lock in the number, say I lock in number 30, yeah. it'll actually gray out all the numbers that aren't 30 Oh on the my left. god, that would have been It easier. makes it so much easier. <laughs> yeah, and actually for 90% of the game, if you just click on the numbers as they light up on the right, the hacking mini game, you can finish it in like three seconds. Um, <laughs> That's but, so funny. But, but, but basically the bug I had um, meant that the numbers on the left, you could not click on them. <laughs> so I actually was convinced you couldn't click on them because I couldn't. Yeah. Um, and then I got up to this point in the game. So later on in the game, depending on what difficulty you're playing on, um, you're able to lock in fewer and fewer numbers. So then you have to basically do what Patrick was doing. Ah, and okay. just, yeah. So I got up to this point where... This was the first time I could only lock in three, and I thought the game was bugging out and that I was soft-locked because I was in this room where if I, you know, I couldn't get out of the room unless I got through this hack door, but I couldn't lock in more than three numbers and I couldn't click on the solution, so uh, I spent like 40 minutes trying to get out of this room or something, rage quit, and then Googled it and figured, found out that it was a widescreen bug. <laughs> that is awful, and, I'm and sorry, if James. You, if you drop the resolution, you can then click on the numbers. You had to, I had to drop it below like 1080p to fix this. Oh, that's awful. Uh, yeah, so I was infuriated at this point because, you know, I just thought the hacking minigame was bullshit for the majority of the game. Yeah, I remember you messaging me and you were not pleased. <laughs> yeah, I was like, if you haven't started this game, play the PS2 version. And I still... <laughs> recommend probably emulating the playstation version of this game because it's probably a lot less buggy maybe if you have a big monitor that's good advice yeah. but if you have a small monitor like i do then you'll be fine yeah yeah it's probably non-existent for like most people but i had a terrible time bug wise yeah in terms of bugs the only ones that stood out were there were on two occasions i was spotted through a wall like unambiguously yep, spotted through yep. a wall it like i said it only definitely happened two times and i think that at first i thought it was happening more but then i realized you know i made half a footstep or i left a door open or whatever which triggered it but there were a couple of times where i was definitely safe in cover and i started getting shot at so uh you do have to look out for that uh, did it happen to you more than twice james no i would say like three times max probably it felt that way and the other times like there was a bunch of times where i thought they might have and then like you i was like oh it's just sound yep. but then there was at least two times where i would load a game not touch the controls and they would see me through a wall it was like this is 
definitely a bug. And that was really the only notable bug I had. Oh, I guess at my resolution, I couldn't click the number right at the very top of the list, but I could click all the others. So, you know, I failed a couple of hacking like twice, but the rest of the time it was fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have a few. Well, I have one more main point. Um, we're probably due for another music break, actually. Yeah, Patrick, of course. do you want to give us that? Yeah, so um, my favorite track was the one from Battery. Uh, it's my favorite because it's got some lovely mm. ambient droning, and that's what I'm all about. So uh, here is Battery. was battery it was definitely in my top three um but still nowhere near as good as cargo but maybe you guys can tell us which one you like the most um so last last fortnight we played celeste mm-hmm. um and one thing that we pointed out that we really liked about the game was the strawberry challenges because the strawberries don't actually give you anything like mechanically in game you know there there is a little bonus you know, picture at the very end of the game, but for the most part, the joy of collecting the strawberries is that they are in these challenge rooms and the act of actually doing the platforming challenges to get the strawberries are fun in and of itself. So even though there isn't a real reward for getting them, it still feels good to get them. Um, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory has a bunch of optional bonus objectives throughout the game, And I think it does the opposite of this, where I could not give a shit about literally any of them because uh, none of them provided an interesting challenge or they just made me run around the level. And, you know, maybe this computer that was already on the path I had to click on once to get. Uh, the, The optional challenges in this game don't give you anything other than a bit of rating, and they don't encourage interesting gameplay either. 
So I was kind of annoyed that they were really just forgettable. Like I just ignored them completely after maybe like the fourth level. Like I tried really hard on bank to get them all. And then when I got them all, I didn't, you know, get anything interesting out of it. And it wasn't really fun to do. Um, so I thought that this was, you know, a significant uh, disappointment I had with the game. So every single challenge is a variation of uh, do X things. And it'll be like, uh, tag five weapon crates, uh, access four computer logs for receiving shipments, that, or tap tap five phones or tap six phones, whatever it is. You're, you're just wandering around the level and doing everything. I feel like what this actually encourages is knocking every guard out and not ghosting through the level. Because yeah. I did probably about half of these challenges and it was literally if you just knock out every single guard, which you can do, you can then sprint around the level doing all these objectives. Um, I agree with you, James. I, I don't really think these add anything uh, except the, the one on the boat irritated me the most because some of those weapon crates are in very dark locations that I didn't think to check. And so after I'd knocked every guard around, I was sprinting around at full speed looking for the stupid crate. Uh, not very fun. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of like open objectives, this is this is the other area where I think Thief does a really good job. Thief's standing uh, goal on expert level is to steal 90% of the loot on the level. So it says there's loot all over the place. You need to steal most of it. But you don't need to steal every single last piece of loot on the entire level. And I feel like this is a better way to handle these kind of search objectives than what is done in Splinter Cell. Because there's always one that you missed and then you have to backtrack looking for it. And that's that's not fun. Thief is like, if you do a pretty good job, that's fine, you've passed. If Splinter Cell was hit, you know, 90% of the tags, then I think I'd enjoy it more. Yeah, it was just annoying. Like, And it wasn't like, in, in Thief, it encourages you to explore rooms off the beaten path yeah but splinter cell has no exploration it's just comb every inch of all the side paths yeah yeah it just i don't know it was really boring to me i guess like even in the first game like i felt like it should make you get to do different kinds of gameplay because in the first game there was things like uh you had to knock out this guy and then take him to this van and you had to carry him on your back which limited your movement options which made the way you proceed through the level different um you know stuff like running to the bomb to defuse it through the fire made you play the game different um and you know was a unique part of the level uh having to sneak through past all those guard towers to get into the abattoir uh outside of the facility that was quite different to everything else i'd done in the game i felt like there was none of that here and i kind of missed it to be the, honest. the closest one was when you were having to save the pilots from the airstrike but uh you literally carry them around a corner i was like oh yeah. is that it they're safe already i thought there would be more to this yeah that it's i agree like i i think there are big nothing and like i said i only really tried to achieve about four of them and two of them was, like I said, I was literally just sprinting around the entire level, just looking for the last thing to tag. Not, not exactly sure. that engaging. Um, I, I've got, I've got a little point here. Um, it's about the conversations that the guards have when you sneak up to them. 
they they keep this from Splinter Cell 1. And while it's not as, I guess, on the nose funny as something like No One Lives Forever, I still enjoy them. I, I, yeah. I, I like all of them because they're often quite humorous. Like, you know, it'll be two people talking about whether it's a bear or a rat in the vents that they heard. Just just stupid shit like that. It's uh it's a nice break and I hope that stealth games do it forever. It's just entertaining to uh listen to these conversations. I think my favorite one was in North Korea where you're going down this broken building and there's like a there's like a missile lodged into the floor and two <laughs> guards are like trying to like walk past it without setting it off and they're kind of like panicking and talking to each other. I like that bit. Um like I thought the game's humor was pretty good. Like I liked all the stupid guard conversations. I liked all the you know the characterization Sam got with um Grimm's daughter. There was a bit in the bank where the guards are talking about one says, have you noticed that there are no ATM machines? And the other one goes, yeah, we wouldn't want to introduce like a cash, like a cash economy that would, uh, that would make things far more complicated. So we want to keep cash out of it, (laughs) (laughs) which is, which is just a little dig at, you know, games like Hitman, which have, uh, which have money. So I thought that was funny. Yeah. There were a couple of points where it tried to break the fourth wall and it didn't really work for me. Uh, I can't remember the one off the top of my head, but there was this one at the end of North Korea where I just like held my hands and my head in my hands and was like you're fucking kidding me <laughs> it should not be trying to do this but uh you know for the most part i thought it was an improvement yeah i mean i i that stuff doesn't really bother me when it's done in very small doses and i felt it was done in a small enough dose here um unlike something like fallout 2 where it was overwhelming <laughs> yeah it was very overwhelming <laughs> uh i'm mostly at the end of my notes james do you have anything else you want to chat about yeah, I really don't like that you can't use knocked out guards to open eye scanners. That really upset me. Oh, can <laughs> you not a... do that? No, yeah, they have to be awake. I See, guess. I, I never tried because you can just hack everything. So it's just like, yeah. <laughs> for me, it was less effort to walk up and hack than have to carry someone over to an eye scanner. Yeah, I did it once and was very annoyed and then just hacked it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I, do, I do like when you carry uh guards that it disables lasers though that that was a that was a nice thing they added in the bank yeah that was cool like that whole section where you had to like sneak with the guards without them seeing you but like near them mm-hmm. um i never knocked anyone out i guess that would work too i, I followed the patrol pattern I, I followed as well but there's a bit in the um when you're in the american building i, I can't remember where where it is it, it might even be the NSA again, where you have to, where I got through a laser grid by carrying someone. Mm. Yeah, that that bit with the lasers is an example where it changes the gameplay a little, and I did appreciate it. But I get like I already said, Banks my favorite level. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's a fair statement. It's it's a pretty good level. Man, I I opened this, I got into this stupid guy's like office, and I found this picture that you could open back, and inside it was a gold bullion. And you couldn't really do anything with it, but I ca- tried to carry it to the end of the level to see if it would do anything. <laughs> like um, try to steal I, some gold. Yeah, and I just like threw it at a few guards' heads. You, you, you realize out. that we you, we stole fifty million euros on that mission, right, James? Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't fair. <laughs> I think one gold bar isn't isn't going to make much of a difference, honestly. Yeah. Uh, final impressions. Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'll I'll start. Um, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory is a decent stealth game, and that's all it is. 
I cannot believe how disappointed I was with this game. Everyone promised me it would blow my mind. Everyone said this is the greatest stealth game ever. I think there are the building blocks and tools for an amazing game in this game. I think every feature that it introduced is a good feature in the abstract. I think the way these things are implemented and combined is bad. It it leads to a game that for the most part is trivial and not challenging and is unenjoyable because of just how easy it is to get through these areas instead of it being tense. I guess I could recommend Chaos Theory as a good introduction to the stealth genre if you haven't played one before because it is relatively easy. So it's probably good if you haven't played one before. But for someone who's now played a good number of stealth games, Chaos Theory ended up being just a decent one. Would I recommend it? Yeah, I would. I I, I still think that the baseline level of stuff that that is here is enjoyable. I, I still think that as a stealth game, I enjoyed my time with it. It's just that at a certain point, you're just going through the motions instead of being challenged and scared and finding that perfect moment to sneak through the shadows, which Splinter Cell did. Splinter Cell One did so well. Um, yeah, I, it's it's a decent enough game, but it's nowhere near as good as people say. And those people, I think, must be running off nostalgia because I think what okay here's here's a scenario in which it could be more challenging. If you tried to go through everything and you didn't use any of your tools, well, but but I don't want to evaluate a game like this on the basis that you use literally none of your tools. Like that's not, and and I think that maybe I should have played it in that way. But I don't really like engaging in games with those restrictions on myself. Yeah, I think what it really comes down to is how much you care about the game being a challenge because. I think that I can totally see a lot of people, you know, this game is easier, it's more open, you can do lots of crazy stuff with the pistol thing. I think that kind of, it's almost like sandboxy to an extent. Um, I can see that being more appealing to people than the, like, strict stealth puzzles of the first game. Like, I can genuinely see people liking this game more than the first game. But, you know, clearly neither of us are that kind of player, right? Like, I just want a linear series of rooms of increasing difficulty that makes me use more and more of my toolset in interesting ways. Yeah. I'm less interested about being able to do, you know, every level in 10 different cool ways. Because I'm not, I'm very bad at making my own fun. Like, I'm not that kind of player. I don't like Metal Gear Solid Five for that very reason. Uh, I feel like you have so many tools and you can use, like, any of them, basically, I guess. So so Metal Gear Solid Five is different in the fact, for me at least, because I'm mostly like James, but Metal Gear Solid Five has incredibly open-ended level design in, in terms of how you approach a level. Like, it really does. It's like, here, here's a base extract this guy from the middle of the base go approach it from any direction like and and you can do that pure stealth with no tools and i still get a lot of enjoyment out of uh, out of that process yeah i much prefer it when it's closer to a puzzle game where there's like two solutions to the issue Mm -hmm. um whereas i don't that's definitely not true for everyone right like not everyone wants it to be that tight um you know and i can definitely see some people liking the open approach here more um so i on the whole agree with 
Patrick that I think Splinter Cell Chaos Theory is a fine game, um, but to me it's a disappointing one. Like, I don't enjoy it as much as the first game. I would definitely replay the first game in the future. I don't think I'll ever come back to this one, to be honest. Like, I think I would like to do, like, a bonus episode with Patrick where we do the co-op together. Yeah, let's apparently... let's lock that in. I reckon we, we're yeah. going to do that for sure. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be back in, I don't know, a week. Uh, and we'll play some co-op and we'll tell you how we feel about it. Yeah, because I think that could be, you know, a significantly positive step in the right direction for me on my opinion on this game. But, you know, it just doesn't give me what I personally want out of a stealth game, I guess. I, like Patrick, really like the on-paper inclusion of all these things, the upgraded AI, the cool, you know, light manipulation of the pistol uh the open level design and just in practice every level in the first game feels distinct in my mind like the avatar and the the one where you start in the car park and work your way up in particular they all just kind of blend together like every single room in this game feels the same to me because i solved them all exactly the same way you know like turning a light off and waiting for someone to leave or just waiting it was just monotonous i guess what what this game actually reminds me a lot about which might not be obvious but is doom 2 so doom 2 introduced a whole bunch of new things you know you have the double barreled shotgun and you've got these um arch vials and uh You've got the um, the revenants. You've got all these different enemies and tools, and the level design is bigger and all this other stuff. But Doom Two wasn't a great game. Doom Two's a lot of its levels and the way it was using those monsters was not very well thought out. And it wasn't really until Plutonia Experiment, which understood the tools, that built the levels around the tools and realized it didn't need a whole bunch of empty space, that you got a good implementation and a good version of the tools that Doom 2 offers. Splinter Cell's tools are fine, it's just how they're used are, is ultimately poor. Yeah, I guess I want to stress that I feel like my, my feelings on the game are not specifically that everything it does is strictly bad. It's just that it's more like it's not for me, I guess. Like, I think that there are people out there that will prefer this game's level design and all the stuff that we don't like about the game. Like, I, I think it's more complex than it all being worse than the first game. I think it's significantly different and that I specifically, and I think you as well, just don't like that. See, see, I disagree. I think it is worse. It's not that it's not for me. It's just it's just worse. Uh Splinter Cell 1 is a masterpiece. This is like <laughs> this is like a, a messy combination of ideas that that doesn't that doesn't really work. So yeah, it's it's not that it's not for me the people who say Kaosuria better are wrong. <laughs> wrong. Well, they are. They they just are. And you're welcome to debate that with me on our Discord server. That seems like a good segue, doesn't it, James? Yeah, it does a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so I, I hope you've enjoyed our episode on Splinter Cell Kaosuria. We really I imagine I imagine it was a lot more negative than but like I want to stress that we're both saying that it's, it's fine. a fine game. It's, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's getting but... it gets a passing grade for yeah. sure. It's still a recommend, but it's just not a, not a strong not, recommendation not as good as i thought it was going to be yeah. yeah so yeah thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us for the past couple of hours uh we are the retrospectors podcast each and every fortnight we review these classic games and we love talking about them 
You can find all of our content on our website, rspodcast.net. It's got links to every single one of our 79 episodes, as well as a lot of articles that James and I have written. It's also got links to all of our social media stuff, the most important of which is our Discord server. Our Discord server is where we do all of our community engagement talking about old games and new we take recommendations and if you have an opinion on splinter cell chaos theory if it's your favorite game ever and you want to tell us why we're wrong i would love to hear what you have to say and talk to about it because i feel like i'm taking crazy pills at this point of view and this happens every time my opinion seems out of line with what most people think well usually when that happens we disagree in this case, we're both Yeah, that is a worrying right? sign. Like, that is a it deeply is weird, worrying hey. sign. And honestly, like, I would love to talk about this game with people who do like it because... I want you to justify yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think these people have a valid they opinion. They have an I opinion. Is... I don't know how valid it is. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's... <laughs> okay, maybe Patrick's less reasonable than I'm trying to be. But, yeah, I'd be interested to talk about it more with people who have a different opinion about the game because... I, you know, I feel like it'd be good to get to the heart of things with people who love the game because there are obviously tons of you out there who love this game to bits. So, you know, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, guys. you're always um, you're always scared that maybe there's something fundamental you're missing. So, yeah. It... Yeah, maybe there's like three mechanics <laughs> that we're not using and it just invalidates our review and we'll have to delete yeah. it. Yeah, so whether you agree or disagree, we would love if you would join our Discord server and join the discussion. I mean, we love talking about games. That's why we did the podcast. Come tell us what you think. Um, yeah, so I think that just about sums up Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. What game are we playing next Fortnite, James? All right, so I'm actually really excited about this next one, Patrick. We're going to be playing our first ever shoot 'em up, um, which is a genre that I basically have zero experience with, um, but have always thought I would really like. Do you have much experience with the shoot 'em up genre? None. Patrick? Like, does Fury count? <laughs> maybe, or maybe, uh, maybe Undertale. Does bind, Binding of Isaac count? <laughs> Honestly, does, Isaac's probably does, the closest. Does Hollow, Hollow like, Knight count? Those some of those bosses. But yeah, that's that's really it. I, I've played a lot of games that kind of touch on this concept of bullet hell, but not never played a shmup. Yeah, and obviously shmups are divided into you know not all of them are categorized like these Dan Marku cave shooters that are just bullets all over the screen. But the one we're doing next week is definitely one of those. So I had a look online because I'm not very familiar with this genre, um, and you know apparently out of all the Dan Marku style shoot 'em ups, the ones with heaps of thousands of bullets on screen, um, cave is the one that's best regarded so i went through their library and read a bunch of reviews and settled on mushihime summer which is you know apparently really good for beginners it's still difficult um usually patrick we don't start playing these games until um you know now basically like we we'd say we're really doing this in two weeks and then on like monday i'd start playing the game uh, I have 21 hours in this game already. Oh, so should I be I'm worried? I'm kind of excited for the... Yeah, probably. <laughs> have, you, have you finished? Um, yeah, so there's a bunch of difficulty settings. Um, there's one called... Yeah, so it's like there's three ways to play the game. Novice, original, and arrange. And each of those has their own difficulties. I've managed to beat two of the novice difficulties without using a continue, which took a while. Um 
but I think it's definitely doable, and I'm looking forward to Patrick's pain over the next four. So uh, <laughs> the other thing about this episode is that we're actually going to have a guest on, someone who's got some experience with the shmup genre, so it'll be good to have mm, a veteran God. with us. We're going to have George from the Nostalgia Goggles podcast on with us. So Nostalgia Goggles is a podcast just like ours. It's a couple of people, and they play uh, classic games of the past, and then they discuss them and review them from a modern perspective. And unfortunately, I have to admit that they started before we did. So we can't claim that they ripped us off. We are very much the ones ripping them off. So it's unfortunate, but uh, but they were the original and the greatest. But uh, it, it's it's great. that It's a great podcast. Really enjoy listening to it. And I'm I'm looking forward to having George on because I'm sure he'll have uh, lots lots of telling us that we're noob idiots <laughs> over, the, over the course of I mean, our playthrough. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of nice not feeling so crazy when there's other people out there reviewing the because there's not that many shows out there using this method of reviewing games. Yeah, right? there aren't. Most of them are pretty, you know, historically accurate. But it'll be interesting. Um, I I, I want to see what the high score differences are like <laughs> by the end because I got really into well, it. Well, given you've played for twenty one hours, I'm assuming I'm going to be at the bottom. But we'll, we'll see how we go. Maybe I have a natural affinity. We'll see. Anyways, we'll see you guys next fortnight for Mushihime Summer. See you then. Adios. Thank you.